0: Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, God is one. Amen. The celebration tonight of the ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven is so multifaceted, so multilayered, so glorious in all of its echoes uh, sounding back through scripture and, and sounding back to the present, making clear things that uh, David in the Psalms wrote, Isaiah in his prophecies wrote, Ezekiel in his visions saw. The ascension of Christ into heaven is hard to pin down into one lesson, uh, Read any church father, and you will get echoes of each other in, in their lessons, but they tend to all really bring out one glorious aspect. Then you flip to another church father and read their homily on the Feast of the Ascension, and you get another brilliant aspect of this. So to try to narrow it down is difficult. So I'm going to try to at least pick three, three things that we can think about as far as what the Ascension is and what it means for us to focus on tonight. The first is the completion of the work that Jesus did here on earth in his incarnation. This is the finality of what was begun on March 25th. Oh, thank you. This is is part of what I'm talking about right now. (laughs) The extinguishing of the Paschal candle is the ending of the light of Christ seen with our visible eyes. It's like the apostles having seen, or the blessed Virgin Mary, uh, Jesus' mother, having, from the moment Gabriel announced to her what God was planning, and the moment she assented, in her womb started growing God in flesh. Now he took the flesh of Mary, but he brought his divinity. The divinity which is always in heaven and always had been in heaven. In fact, one of the things the Church Fathers say is that the divinity of Christ never left heaven. The Son of God was always, is always in heaven. This is a a timeless fact and a timeless reality, but the Son of God's presence as a man in the world began with the Annunciation. And the presence of the man, Jesus Christ, the Son of God incarnate in this world, concludes at the ascension. At the ascension, God who never left heaven, who entered into time and space, now leaves our time and space, as we know it, to enter into the heavenly reality. And he brings us with him. So that's the first part of what I want to talk about tonight. The incarnation was the rescuing of our nature from futility by God taking on our nature redeeming it by living our human life in its most perfect form, that is, never straying from the will of his Father in heaven, laying it down so that he tastes our death, the thing that was the curse since the Garden of Eden laid on us for our disobedience. God accepts that curse even though he didn't deserve it. He never earned it like the rest of us do. And so he enters that death, participating in it with us, goes down into the darkest, deepest place in all of creation that a human soul had ever gone and brings them back up. Like a strong man getting under a heavy load, he goes all the way to the bottom so that he can then lift everything back up with him. And so the lifting of humanity out of Hades, which began at Pascha, is put on pause, as it, in a sense, so that Christ for forty days can be with his followers and strengthen and teach them and prepare them for what's coming, or upbraid them for their lack of faith. It's it's a both and really. We hear uh, in in the gospel tonight, they the disciples didn't know what to do with the resurrection. They didn't know how to handle it. But note how the things that they feared the most. Uh, during the Passion, and even after the Resurrection of Christ. Death, um, ostracizing, uh, being you know, kicked out of synagogues, being put to the very margins of society. These are all things that after the Ascension, the disciples had no qualms about. After the Ascension, the disciples are now ready. <laughs> they, they go back to Jerusalem, as Jesus tells them, and they wait for the Holy Spirit. And with the enlivening of the Holy Spirit, they are now prepared to live in Christ as he is now, seated in glory at the right hand of the Father. So the fear of humanity, now that it has been lifted up, and now that it has gone not only back from Hades to earth, but all the way up into the heavenly realities, past every created being, past all the ranks of angels, as we sing in our hymn, to the Father's breast, to sit at the right hand of the Father in union, and communion with him. That's our humanity sitting up there. That's our nature. God has taken our nature and redeemed it from the deepest, darkest place, lifted it to the very highest place. So that's the first thing Christ does is he restores not only restores our humanity, but he elevates it past where it had ever been, where any of us had ever dreamed that it could go. So that's the first aspect of what he does. The second aspect is that he enters into the temple of God's presence as a mediator, as our high priest. The book of Hebrews beautifully describes this reality of what Jesus the high priest is doing in the temple. Of heaven so it's a throne room he goes to the throne of the father but it's also a temple and so he is mediating for us so that our salvation is now our redemption and our salvation is complete in him what he does is the most natural thing that we had ever done as humans offering sacrifice to God we give something up and then we lift it up to God so that it's now in God's presence right That's what the Hebrews did with all of their burnt sacrifices. They brought something, they lit it on fire, and through the smoke of that sacrifice, it ascended to God. We hear multiple times how God would smell, you know, the the scent of a sacrifice and be pleased with something. And we do that still tonight. We're lifting incense up. We're burning an offering of incense, and it smells good to God as it lifts up. Now, this lifting of Christ as our sacrifice in the the temple is done uh, in the tradition of the church at the hands of angels. And we hear that two angels, two men in white, were standing there talking to the disciples um, saying, why are you staring into heaven? You know, don't you know that you have work to do? Go do what Christ told you to do. He will return again as you saw him go. But in a lot of the iconography of the ascension, you'll see two angels or four angels raising Christ up as He seated on a throne, bringing him into heaven. And a lot of the church fathers describe how this gives uh, the explanation of the psalm where God is uh, coming to the gates, saying, lift up your heads, O gates, be you left up everlasting doors, for the king of glory is coming in. And the question comes back, who is this king of glory? Who is who's this that we're lifting up? Why the confusion? You would think the angel recognized, you know, the, the second person of the Trinity, the son of God. But he's wearing, according to the church fathers, this flesh that they, so many of them had not seen him in. The, the reality of an infleshed God bearing the wounds of his passion was so strange to them. The answer must come back. Who is this king of glory that, that we're lifting up right now? What's the king of glory mighty in battle? mighty in battle because he has defeated death. He's put Satan in his place. He's uh, brought down all the powers of the air that had been influencing all the nations since the uh, before the flood and after the flood at the Tower of Babel. All these nations, all these gods of the nations fighting against Yahweh and, and dragging the people under their control off into darkness and confusion. They are now defeated. So he's mighty in battle. Okay, great. So that's That's good, but again, who is it that we're bringing into the temple of God, into the very presence of the Father? Well, now it's not just the the king of glory might in battle, but it's the the, the king of glory. It's him. It's the one who is God. It's God who we're bringing back to God. You know, the second person of the Trinity. You're all angels ministering in the presence of God. You know who this is. You've just never seen him like this. Now we're lifting him up like a, a lamb that's been slain. That's the vision John sees in his Apocalypse. This is the sacrifice entering into the temple. This is the sacrifice which replaces all others, the only one needed. This is what's happening at the ascension. Christ has been slain. Christ has died, been buried. Now Christ is risen again, and he is rising into the temple as our offering to complete that. So that's the second aspect. The first he completes and raises our humanity. The second is he completes his sacrifice for us. The third is that he takes his rightful seat as the king over all of creation. This is his coronation. We just saw again, reference it again uh, twice in a, in a month. That's, that's bad. Uh, no more until uh, August in the, or October in the Feast of Christ the King, I promise. But we just saw the coronation of the new king of England, a pitiful spectacle compared to what all coronations really point to, the coronation of Jesus Christ, King of the entire world. When he's lifted up, he takes his seat at the right hand of the Father. This is kingly language. This is enthronement language. And so we understand Christ now to be not gone from us, not, not no longer involved in what's happening here, but ruling, reigning, We see this immediately after this story. The the story of Acts, which picks up at the ascension, immediately shows us St. Stephen being stoned to death as the first believing martyr of the church, looking up and seeing what? Christ standing up from his throne to greet his first martyr. As if a veil had just been pulled back, he's not far away. We just don't see and so this veil is pulled back and St. Stephen sees this is the reality. Not long after that, Saul, on his way to persecute the saints of the church, is blinded by the vision of Christ on his throne and says, Who are you, Lord? Kind of like the angels. What am I looking at? Who are you? Saul, I'm Jesus Christ, whom you are persecuting. You're persecuting me because I, the head of the body, my the head is now enthroned in heaven, but where's the body? Still on earth, suffering. Christ is still suffering along with us because he is our monarch and we are his citizens. He is our head, we are his body. He is our husband, we are the bride. We are connected. This this reigning of Christ as king is not a far-off monarch uh, reigning only in pretense over, you know, people in, in a colony far away across the sea. No, this is the king who rides still through his creation, pulling the veil back, welcoming his martyrs, questioning those who persecute him through the persecution of his people. That's why he says, when you feed the least of these, you are feeding me. So those are just three aspects of the ascension, and there are more, and I cannot encourage you more to go and find some church fathers and their homilies on the ascension, because it is just this is one of those feasts that uh, so many people miss, underestimate its importance and its significance in our life as the church. This is huge. <laughs> this, is, this is the completion of the incarnation cycle, right? The only thing, that, what comes next, what we begin tomorrow is the nine day novena prayer in anticipation of the descent of the Holy Spirit. But the descent of the Holy Spirit, it is linked with uh, the ascension, but it is a new chapter. It's it's the church chapter. This There is a real closing of the circle with this feast. This is so impactful and powerful. So let's meditate on those things tonight. And as St. Gregory, uh, uh, St. Leo, and uh, uh, St. Augustine both uh, say, and I was reading uh, their homilies earlier, they're insistent that just because Christ is no longer visible to our eyes, he is now more powerful to us in his divinity. His physical presence, even though we no longer see it, is now replaced with his sacramental presence. And we no longer can touch the hems of his garment, as did the woman with the issue of blood, but we can bring him into our bodies. <laughs> the sacramental presence of Christ is so Astounding and amazing. And so what we do at this altar tonight is we join ourselves to Christ's sacrifice and we will hear, listen, listen at the prayers. Christ will be made present to us sacramentally and then we will elevate him, honor him, worship him, lift him up ourselves, but we'll ask that God send his holy angel to lift that sacrifice up sacramentally just as we are celebrating it happened 2,000-something years ago, physically. Tonight, tonight, the Feast of the Ascension is powerful. And so, let us join ourselves in our hearts with Christ, who joined himself in his very nature with us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, God is one. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and Reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.